Congregation, please rise. To the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord for our sermon meditation this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 24 through 31. I believe I included a few extra verses at the end, which you can read on your own, but we will focus on verses 24 to 31. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all, by raising him from the dead. So far, God's holy word. Congregation may be seated. In the name of him who is our judge, jury, and redeemer, dear friends in Christ. As a pastor, one of the many aspects of the job is to steer the members of his congregation toward a faithful and accurate translation of the Bible. There's the English Standard Version, the New International Version, the New Evangelical Heritage Version, the New American Standard Bible, the King James Version, the New King James Version. The list goes on and on. Those are really the translations that we predominantly use in the CLC. There are many more. And that's because when translating from one language into another, there's usually more than one way to express the original thought, and often several English words that can be used to translate any one word from the original Hebrew of the Old Testament or the original Greek of the New Testament. Now, all of the translations that I listed off, we use in the CLC because they are, on the whole, faithful to all of the original words that the Holy Spirit breathed into the prophets, the apostles, and the evangelists for our instruction in righteousness. But while the original text, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is flawless and without error, the translations are produced by flawed, sinful men like you and I. And so sometimes we may come across an English translation that seems a little bit off or a little bit out of place, and so it can be helpful 
to go and check other English translations and see how they treat the same word or the same phrase or the same verse. Got a pretty good example of when it might be a good idea to do that in our text for today, specifically verse 30. In the King, we read in the New King James that verse, but in the King James translation, it reads like this. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, as we consider the impending judgment of all men on the last day, it's important that we understand God's stance on sin, especially in a world of soft, cushioned, and lenient theology. It's important that we look at the context of this section and the context of all of Scripture to land on a God-pleasing and scripturally faithful understanding of what the Spirit meant when he caused Luke to record these words of Paul to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. And the conclusion that we will come to as we meditate on God's word for us today is this. God does not wink at sin. He will judge the world according to his righteousness, and he will judge his children according to Christ's righteousness. May the word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path today and always. Now we're going to be primarily focusing on the last two verses of our text, or I should say my text since you have a few extra verses, but verses 30 and 31 are going to be our primary focus today in determining what God's word is really saying and looking at the context in which the thing is said. Today we find Paul in the Greek city of Athens, which was by all accounts a renowned center of wisdom and learning. Many people of all sorts of walks of life with many philosophies lived there or at least passed through. And so there were many, many, many different teachings and beliefs. In fact, they'd set up all sorts of different altars to false gods, and even one to a unknown god, just to be safe. And so Paul capitalizes on this altar of, to the unknown god in order to introduce them to the god that they did not know. This god is the god who, according to verse 24 and following, made the world and everything in it, gave life and breath to all things, made every person and every nation and everything about them he determined pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings if you were to have asked the athenians who created everything in the world they probably could have given you a dozen or more different answers like the god chaos or nix or eros or gaia who was that was the name of the world itself in greek mythology and so Paul corrected them and redirected that knowledge of a powerful creator towards the one who truly did all that creating, the Lord, the I am God. He created the heavens and the earth and everything in them as revealed to us in the Genesis account. And he also created each person so that Paul in our text can agree with the philosophers of Athens who said, we are his offspring. 
And now, in Paul's sermon here, comes that tricky verse in verse 30. In the New King James we're using today, it says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. Now this is a quite literal translation of the Greek word here, which is huper idon. Huper is a preposition meaning over, and idon is a verb meaning to see or to look, literally to overlook. But we need to understand what's being said there. Does God truly overlook sinful ignorance? First commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Can one be excused of this, the first and foremost among all the commandments because of one's own ignorance? There are many in the world who would profess to be Christians and answer this question, yes. Humans love to find excuses for sin don't they? I did a bad thing because he made me do it. I didn't do that thing I was supposed to do because, well, I didn't know. If there is really one God out there that I'm supposed to believe in and trust, well, he probably should have tried a little bit harder to make his existence clear to me. I don't know, perform a miracle or two, come to me in a vision or a dream at least. There are even universalists among Christianity who teach that because Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, which so far is true, well, that must mean that all people will be saved, no matter what they believe, what they confess, or how that belief, or lack thereof, is reflected in their lives, in their words and actions. But this is not true. The idea that God is a kindly old man who turns a blind eye to sin because, well, what else could he expect? That's a fanciful notion, which is fabricated to excuse our own sinfulness and which is nowhere contained in Scripture. Rather, what is contained in Scripture is quite the opposite. As our Gospel reading today clearly says concerning Judgment Day, all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. In our Old Testament reading, he will judge between or among the nations. Our psalm for today, Psalm 96, he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness. Scripture teaches that there are no excuses when it comes to sin. He will judge the world and he will do it righteously according to his perfect standard of holiness. God does not wink at sin, but judges it and condemns the unrighteous to eternal torment in hell. That's bad news for us, isn't it? We are in the world and so we can be sure that we will be weighed and measured at the coming of the Lord and no excuse will be able to sway God's righteous wrath towards sin. But again, look at the context of Paul's message. Paul did not preach to the men of Athens a sinners in the hand of an angry God sermon. He preaches that God is the one who gives life, breath, and all things, as James says, the Father of lights, the giver of every good and perfect gift. God is the one 
who determines the boundaries of a person's life so that they might seek him, grope for him, and find him. Not as one who aimlessly gropes around in the dark, hoping to find something perchance of use, but one to whom God reveals himself through his word. For he is not far from each one of us. God is the one who will judge the world, yes, but he is also the one who offers a way of escape from the condemnation of sin. Verse 31, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Now this judgment in verse 31 is a quite different judgment spoken of here than the condemnation of sin by the holy God of heaven and earth who condemns sin and unbelief. This is the judgment that God dispenses for the sake of the man whom he has ordained. Paul says we are all his offspring because we are all created by God. But in Paul's message in verse 31, he reveals that there are also children of God by faith, by spirit-worked faith. Now, the term we use for God judging one of his children who believes in the cross of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, we call that judgment justification, being declared not guilty of sin for the sake of the appointed and ordained Christ of God, Jesus of Nazareth. By faith, we believe that Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, came into the world in the likeness of men, yet also fully divine. We believe that he suffered the judgment our sins incurred in our place by giving his life on the cross. We believe that God does not wink at sin, but punishes it, and he did not wink at Jesus when he became sin for us but punished him by allowing his wrath to fall upon him in full. Because God does not and cannot excuse sin, he determined to pay the debt of sin for us through Christ's obedience, humiliation, and death. The one true God now does not judge us according to the perfect righteousness that he has, which we lack, but rather he judges us according to the perfect righteousness he has given to us by the redeeming work of Christ, who said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's you and me. God does not wink at sin, but for the sake of the man Jesus, whom he ordained to be our high priest, he forgives us our sin. He removes it from us. He has taken it all to the cross and buried it in that garden tomb so that Satan can accuse us of it no longer. The same God who thundered his law from the peak of Sinai is the same God who extends his offer of grace in Isaiah chapter 1. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And there is no doubt in this offer God extends to us. As Paul concludes, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. 
just as Jesus himself promises in John 14, verse 19, because I live, you shall live also. But one might say, what about those who have no opportunity to hear this saving gospel message? What about those remote jungle villages in the Amazon? What about those hill tribes in Cambodia or the Inuit settlements in the Arctic tundra? Surely God must excuse their sins since they have no way of hearing about how Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Well, and I'd ask you a question if you think that. Do you think that God can't get his word out to them as well? Because if you think that, then you probably better go and tell them about Jesus. And I don't tell you that so that everyone goes home and Amazon orders their goose down parka and starts their trek up to the Arctic Circle. But rather, I say that so that you might realize that God's word is powerful here just as it is everywhere. If you want to go to the polar ice caps, I won't stand in your way if you want to go there and preach Christ. But firstly, hear what Hebrews chapter 4 tells us. The word of God is living and active. You bet it can and does go wherever the Lord sends it, whether he sends it through you or not. Secondly, are you so sure that there are no people in your life here in the Linwood, Seattle area that have heard that, that have not heard the message of sinners saved because he's not far from those people either he's one phone call away one lunch date away one conversation in the grocery store away because you carry his message of grace and forgiveness with you go therefore Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things which Christ has commanded us, and he is with you always. It's an important message, because God doesn't overlook sin. He bore patiently with those who lived before Christ, but he still expected repentance, even from those patriarchs in the Old Testament. But now we have, as Peter puts it, the word made more sure. Judgment day is coming. Indeed, it may even be today, only the Father knows. The day when the last trumpet will sound and all mankind will stand before Almighty God and give an answer for themselves. You have that answer. The answer that everyone needs, the answer that everyone seeks Jesus, blood, and righteousness. God doesn't wink at sin, but justly and righteously punishes those who transgress his law. But for Jesus' sake, he has made us children of God by faith from the Holy Spirit. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And so we can confidently pray those same words that were penned by the hymn writer. O oh, Jesus Christ, do not delay, but hasten our salvation. We often tremble on our way in fear and tribulation. Then hear us when we cry to thee, come, mighty judge, and make us free from every evil. Amen. Please rise.
And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your